God calls his church, his sons and daughters, to give hope and to give healing, to open this sacred book and to bring the kind of truth that gets to the heart. So if we're not just going to turn a blind eye, like many generations did in the past, but if we're actually going to jump into the deep end and love people, both who have been abused and who have been abusive, how should we do it? Many years ago, a woman from my church came to my office with her children and she told me about the abuse. She confessed in a really hushed and meek tone what her husband and what the children's father had been doing in their home. And it broke my heart to hear her story of abuse, but it also raised another huge question in my mind because the man she was talking about was also a member of our church. That meant that as a pastor, God was pushing me into this position of helping and loving and healing and ministering to both the abused and the abusive. And I had to ask myself as as a Christian, what would I do to help both? What would I say to this wife and to her children? And a few days later, what would I say to the man when I met with him? And what would you say? If the statistics are true and abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, is as widespread as it appears to be, God is going to put you in the same situation. Whether you yourself grew up in an abusive home or have experienced that sin or not, if the statistics are true, then one of your children or your siblings or your parents, your friends, your roommates, your classmates, or a friend from church will have been through it. So what will you say? And what exactly will you do? It might not be a a blunt, black and white, obvious confession. It, It might just be that little sign that you pick up on and think in the back of your head, this doesn't feel right. This isn't a normal relationship. This isn't how most parents parent. This feels like abuse. What do you do? Like your daughter starts dating a guy and he he just feels off. You know, charming at times, but very controlling at others. And maybe your daughter doesn't have a black eye or bruises on her wrist, but you just notice that she's different. Blaming herself for every argument, walking on eggshells just so her boyfriend doesn't get mad. In that moment, what will you say to her? And what might you say to him? Or you go to your Bible study and things get honest and transparent and real and someone talks about the the words that their mother spoke as a child, words that they can still remember because they hurt so deeply. How will you comfort What passage in the Bible will you turn to? What truths of the Bible will you repeat? Or over a quiet cup of coffee, someone admits what happened to them as a kid, physically or sexually. Or maybe a friend confesses that they're the one who's crossed the line 
and committed the sin of abuse. What, what will you say? It can happen in a thousand different ways in a hundred different relationships, but just like I experienced that day as a pastor, you will experience too. That God calls his church, his sons and daughters, to give hope and to give healing, to open this sacred book and to bring the kind of truth that gets to the heart. So if we're not just going to turn a blind eye, like many generations did in the past, but if we're actually going to jump into the deep end and love people, both who have been abused and who have been abusive, how should we do it? If you're anything like me, uh, you didn't grow up with much abuse. Honestly, the more I study abuse and the more I look back at my past, I was so spoiled and so insanely blessed and I had no idea. I mean, honestly, the, the worst part of my childhood was when my mom and dad refused to buy me a Nintendo 64 video game system the week that it came out. Yes, I know, poor, poor me, right? So I had no idea what this looks like. I had no idea what to say or what to do. So I had to learn. And I got to say over the past few years, and especially the last few weeks, God has been giving me a lot of learning. And have I been able to absorb his truth and by the grace of God, give it to the people who need it the most. And today, that's what I want to do with you. I want to open the Bible primarily to one single passage and God is going to help us minister to both the abused and the abusive. So if you're ready to be a force for good in this broken world, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1 and we're going to plant ourselves in verse 17 today. Here's what our Heavenly Father says. Learn to do right. Seek justice Defend the oppressed. You know, when I hear that word defend, I kind of think of an ancient city like Jerusalem where Isaiah would have spent much of his time. You know, here's the city, there's dangerous people out there, so you build these thick walls where soldiers can walk around, strong towers with archers, and, and the goal of a city like that is to defend the people inside so the people outside can't hurt them. And to me, that's a lot like abuse. There are hurting, broken, mistreated, oppressed people that God wants us to huddle inside and keep them safe. And it's your job and my job to stand on the top of the wall, to climb up to the top of the tower and make sure that abusive people don't hurt them again. Defend the oppressed. Ah, so uh, how do we do that? It sounds good. I'm hoping as a Christian that you agree with that, but what does that look like in practice? Well, let me make two points. First of all, we defend the oppressed with truth. Abuse can only exist when lies get the last word. When truth ha has been dimmed so much that the abused person can't see what's normal and what's right and what's good, how families are supposed to behave and how relationships are supposed to function. Abuse exists when lies get the last word. So defend the oppressed with truth. Every time you speak the truth to someone who is abused, that dimmer switch goes up just a little bit. Every time you open the Bible and you speak 
according to God, what he sees and what he says, what he declares to be true. You turn up that dimmer switch a little bit more until finally, hopefully one day, the abused person can escape from the darkness and the lies and see the truth. Just a couple weeks ago, a young woman from our church emailed me. She had just heard the first message that I had preached on abuse and she emailed and said, Pastor, do you remember when we sat down for coffee a few years ago? We had met at a local coffee shop and she started to tell me the problems that she was having with her boyfriend. And she was looking for my advice as her pastor, what she should do and how she could be a better girlfriend, more loving, more humble, more Christ-like. But when she told me about the dynamics of what was happening, my, my initial reaction to her, and forgive me if this is my lack of compassion, was, you should dump him. She's kind of a quiet type, so she didn't say much in the moment, but in her email, she confessed that what she was thinking in the moment was, my pastor's crazy. He he doesn't get it. He he doesn't understand the details. He's so black and white about this. No, there must be something that I can do. And, And it took her months, maybe even years, to see the truth that I saw. That this guy was not healthy, And he was not good, he he was not stable, that he was using and manipulating and controlling her. And and this woman gave me some great advice, advice that she wanted me to share with you. That sometimes when you've been living surrounded by lies for so long, you think the truth is crazy. And so when you and I defend the oppressed with truth, we don't just say it once, or twice, and there we fixed it. Sometimes we have to say it again, and again, and then again, and then again, and then again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until finally the light goes on and they see it for themselves. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Fill yourself up with truth. Say what you see. Open this book and repeat the truth of the Bible. Educate yourself on all the different types of abuse. That's what I had to do. I Googled it. I looked for Christian books about it. I found local domestic abuse shelters and studied their websites. There's really great answers and they're really easy to find. So if if you don't know what this looks like, just search, take a step, seek justice, as Isaiah said, and you will learn to defend the oppressed with truth. But there's a second way we defend the oppressed. Yes, we do it according to Isaiah with truth, but we also do it secondly with grace. With love. With undeserved, persistent, patient, I'm not going to give up on you kind of love. Now, I realized how important that kind of grace and love is uh, recently with another case of abuse. A woman who's kind of new to our church told me about the horrendous things that her husband had done. I mean, the, the physical violence was disturbing to her, to the children. There was hospitalizations. Thankfully, the police were called. Legal action was taken. Justice got involved and the relationship ended. 
and then it didn't. She got back together with him, with a man that had beaten her, the man that had assaulted their mutual children. And I want to be careful that I don't jump to conclusions because God can change people. And I'm not sure, maybe this man has totally changed. Like the Apostle Paul, his heart has 180'd and he used to be a violent man and he isn't anymore. But in the moment, all I thought was, this is so complicated. When you're in a relationship, even if it's toxic and unhealthy, even if it gets violent, sometimes the relationship draws people back. When you have children together, and you know the kids need not just a father, but also a mother. Not just a mother, but also a father. It, it draws you back. When family ties or friendships or relational connections mean it's not so easy just to go your separate ways, it, you get drawn back. And when you look at that from the outside, it might seem like the most illogical thing in the world. This guy manipulated you. He insulted you. He called you names. He, he raised the back of his hand. She controlled you and belittled you and made you think that you couldn't live without her. Why, why don't you just leave? You should dump her. You should dump him. But fellow Christian, grace is willing to wait. Grace says, just like Jesus waits for me, I'm going to wait for you. And so I think you should go. I, I think you need to leave. But whatever you choose today, I'm here for you tomorrow. If you're going to stay in that relationship, I'm still here for you. If you need me to, to come to your place and pack up the stuff and move you out today, Grace says, I'm here for you. <laughs> if you decide to move back in with her, even though I think it's the wrong idea, I'll help you because Grace is here for you. If your son or your daughter runs back to that relationship, I told you so, is, is not the thing to say. I'm here for you, is. Grace, like all biblical love, is patient. It's kind and it always protects, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Grace and love never fails. And while you're there for them, grace does the best thing of all. It gives the gospel. You can say to an abused person, whether they're stuck in the abuse or they're trying to escape it, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know because of Jesus, the kind of things that God says about you, you're not worthless. You're not useless. You're not dirty. You're not broken. You're not damaged goods. God loves you. God likes you. The Bible says that God delights in you. Jesus so completely forgave you that when God thinks of you, his face shines upon you and he looks on you with favor. Remember the blessing that we say in church? That's God. If you think anything else, that's a lie that you've been told because here's the truth. Jesus made you new and he loves you like a perfect husband. Our father in heaven is not like some fathers on earth. He, he loves and protects and cares about his children and that will never change. Grace gives the truth, the truth of the gospel. 
Uh, And so when we put those two things together, truth and grace, here's what it is. And here's how much I love you. Most importantly, here's how much God loves you. That friends is the primary way that we defend the oppressed. Ah, but our lives aren't just filled with people who have been hurt. God might just bring into your path someone who has done the hurt teen. So what do we do then? In my Bible right here in Isaiah 1 verse 17, it says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. And then there's a, a tiny little letter A. And if you open your Bible or even your digital Bible, you'll see the exact same thing. And that little letter A means that the original Hebrew that Isaiah used might be translated in a different way. And the way in the bottom here, you'll find the different way that it could be translated. It says that this might mean not defend the oppressed, but correct the oppressor. I know that's kind of confusing and translating languages can be, but Isaiah might be saying what we find actually throughout the Bible, that God doesn't just want us to care about these people, but also those people. Yes, God says, defend them, but also correct them. So what would that look like? If God gives you an opportunity to minister to an abuser, what do you do and what do you say? When I think about that question, my mind goes back to that man. Remember my story about the wife and the mother and the kids who came to see me? Well, a few days later, I got to meet with the father, the husband. We were in the same church, in the same office. I actually sat in the very same chair. And I remember that conversation because I I said something then that I don't think I've ever said in all my other years of ministry. I said, you're lying. You see, the man was weeping, crying, absolutely denying. I I didn't do this, pastor. None of it. None of it? I asked. No, I, I have no idea why my kid said that, why my wife said that. I've never, ever, ever, ever done it. And God, forgive me if I was wrong. But I said, you're lying. My heart could not think of a single reason why this woman, and I knew her well as as a quiet, meek, humble woman. I, I could not figure out why her kids would make up that story. But I could think of a huge reason why he would deny it. As an abuser, he wanted control. He didn't want to get caught. He wanted the pastor to take his side and not theirs. He wanted things to go on the way they always had. And so I told him to his tear-stained face, you're lying and you need to stop. You see, the primary way we correct an abuser is actually the same way that we defend the abused with truth. Since abuse thrives in a culture of lies, this is going to be the hardest thing in the world for the abuser to hear the truth. 
The truth is, this is your fault. This evil behavior that God hates, that he despises, this is you. This isn't on them. Don't blame it on the beer, on the wine, on the mixed drinks. You chose to drink. You didn't have to. And lots of people drink and a lot of people drink too much, but not everyone says what you said. Not everyone does what you did. Not everyone smashes the wall or insults or says vile things to their spouse. Not not everyone pushes their children, intimidates, touches. You, You did that. And you have to own that. Oh, you're stressed. Lots of people are stressed. Not everyone hurts other people when they are. Oh, the kids are crazy. Listen, everybody's kids are crazy. It doesn't mean you get to say that or call them that or do that. Here's the truth. You did it. You're abusive. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam tried to deny it. He he tried to finger point and blame and God wasn't having it. You got to own it, Adam. Confess it, repent of it. That's the truth. And you and I will have to say the same thing. You need to change. You need help. I I love you. I'm not going to run away from you because you've been abusive, but you have been and you need help. And the help you need isn't a Google search away. The help you need can't be had in the quietness and privacy that protects your reputation. You need professional help. You need to take the time and spend the money You need to see a counselor and go to a group. You need to learn what a healthy relationship is and what it isn't. You need to learn how to let go of the control. You need to learn how to make this an equal relationship. You need to learn how to apologize, how to own it, how to confess, and how to change. I'm here because I love you. But here's the truth. Because I love you, you got to change. Now, being corrected is never fun. But if we're going to help both the abused and the abuser, we need to remember this, that we correct the oppressor with truth. And guess what else we get to give? Grace. And the uniquely, powerfully, evangelically amazing thing that Christians get to do for abusers is give them grace. To preach to them that there is a God and he doesn't just love to save some people, he loves to save all people. That there is a Jesus who on the cross said to his heavenly father, forgive my abusers. They don't know what they're doing. Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, defend the oppressed or correct the oppressor. And then in verse 18, the very next verse, he says this, come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing, if you are obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. I want to leave you today with one last thing. 
a woman in a rather long message shared the heartbreaking things that she had been through in her life. But despite the triggers and despite the trauma, she was so happy that we were having this conversation. And I actually wrote down one of the lines that she said to me, and I want to share it with you today. She said, if you can save just one person from the situation they're in, you have done a wonderful thing. Just one. I would love it if you and I could fix all the abuse in the world. We probably can't. But just one is wonderful. Jesus says that when just one person repents, the angels rejoice. When you, just one person, believed, were baptized, and were saved, the angels threw a party. And if you and I can do the same thing, just one, with grace and truth, just one person defended, just one person corrected, in the eyes of God himself, that is a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord, please give us wisdom. You've said in your word that if we lack wisdom, if we just don't know what to do in a situation, we could ask you in faith and you would give it. I thank you for the wisdom you've already given. Lord, I think I've gotten 20 responses from people who have stepped forward and thanked our church and thanked this ministry for talking about this subject. God, that's wonderful. Just one would be wonderful. 20 is beyond wonderful. But God, humbly, I want to ask you for more. Not just through me, but, but through us. Let these words from Isaiah be that seed in our heart that you water and grow so that we can become the kind of people that correct and protect. The people who address and defend. Father, you, you know the statistics. In fact, you know better than the statistics. Our world, our culture needs help. Help us be the helpers who serve in your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your presence, for sending your spirit, and for the power that we have in him to do the right thing at the right time, that your people, your church, and this world could be blessed. We pray all these things with faith in you, Jesus. Amen. If you or someone you know is suffering from abuse, please go to timeofgrace.org backslash abuse to find more resources and information for getting help. Nothing matters more than connecting people to God. Like that anxious teenager scrolling on her phone who doesn't really know who Jesus is, doesn't know what's spiritually true. Or that family that might look good from a distance, but they're barely keeping it together. The stress, the busyness, the lack of connection. Or that Christian going through chemo who needs to know after all her mistakes and failures that she is going to see the face of God. She is going to make it to heaven. Nothing matters more than connecting people just like that to the God of forgiveness, love, and power. And that is exactly what Grace Partners do. Grace Partners give regularly and generously to Time of Grace so that we can connect people just like that to God, to his word, to his promises, and to his love. So join me today in becoming a Grace Partner. You can do that right now by going to timeofgrace.org slash gracepartners because nothing matters more than connecting people to God. Time of Grace doesn't end here. 
visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox. Like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.